Please join me in the uh, prayer for illumination. Heavenly Father, your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. Thank you that we have your word and that it is powerful. It is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. As we come before you to read your word, help us to take it to heart that we might be conformed to your image. Open our eyes, ears, and hearts that through your word our lives may be changed. For indeed, we want more than information. We seek transformation. In your holy son's name we pray. Amen. Please turn in your two pew Bibles to page number 11. The Old Testament reading this morning is Genesis 12, 1 through 9. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him, into the Negeb. Now Abram was very rich in livestock and silver. Let's try that again. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot with went him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Sechem, to the oak of Morah. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pinched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Thank you, Danny. Pray with me, please. Dear God, we thank you for your word and your truth. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that guides our reading and our understanding. Dear God, we pray that you would guide our hearts, guide the words that I share, that they would um, reveal to us those areas where we have missed the mark, and that you would help us to see the way forward, the way in your spirit. Anything that I say um, strays from your truth, it would be quickly forgotten. But that that is true would be etched in our hearts through your Holy Spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Our New Testament reading this morning is uh, Galatians 3, 1 through 14, continuing with our um, looking at Galatians and the way the gospel changes everything. It can be found in your pew Bibles on page 1237. Again, Galatians 3, 1 through 14. Hear the word of the Lord. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you this. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit... Are you now being perfected by the flesh? 
Did you suffer many things in vain? If indeed, it was in vain. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness? Know then, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed among, along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Amen. Each within us, we have different desires. But one of the key desires for, I think, most everyone is the desire to be justified, the desire to be right. It's really the purpose for a lot of religion that we are justified, we are seen right in the eyes of God, whatever our view of that might be. It's not just in religion that we have this desire to be justified, it even affects our entertainment. You look at some of the most popular shows on television, and they're really about justification. One of my favorite shows, CSI, although not quite the same since Grissom left the show, (laughs) premiered in 2000. It has 333 episodes so far with the same basic plot every time. Someone has done something wrong, they've committed a crime, and They're going to use DNA, fingerprints, video surveillance, other tools of the crime lab to bring the perpetrator to justice, to bring that moment of saying he's justified for what he was doing. He's justified. He's paying the price for what he's done wrong. It's the same plot we see in um, a variety of shows, Criminal Minds, NCIS, Law and Order, or a little more old school, Starsky and Hutch, Chips, or Matlock. So why is justification so important to us? It's very simple, really. It goes back to the beginning that we've continued to buy the lie that Adam and Eve fell for thousands of years ago. It's the lie that we can be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, we know good and evil. What the serpent didn't tell Adam and Eve was that we don't have the capacity to handle or to discern this knowledge. But the great news that we know is that Jesus came to heal us from this lie, to set our minds, to set our hearts free. But we continue, no matter when or how we came to accept the call of Jesus Christ, we continue to have this sinful nature that controls us, this desire to be justified. And it results in really two distinct ways that we can live our lives. The first way is this idea of justification that it's all riding on me. 
that I have to get it right. I have to follow the law. And if I do, do it well enough, I'll be justified. Or the other way to live is that it's all riding on someone else. That idea that Jesus paid the price for me. The idea of grace. It seems like an easy choice. But we, like Adam and Eve and the people of Galatia, we miss this clear distinction in which way to choose. The scripture shows us this problem um, in the scripture that I read. It's a place that uh, a letter to the people of Galatia that Paul had visited during his first missionary journey that we can uh, read about in Acts 13 and 14. And as all that we can understand and, and comprehend is that the people got it. They understood. They understood the basic concept of grace that uh, Paul says in uh, Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. They understand this idea of being justified by faith, not justified by their works. But something's happened. Something's happened since the time of Paul's first missionary journey and they got this message to where things are today. And as he's heard words, and he writes this letter. He writes this letter to them, and he doesn't mince words. Sometimes I love the way that Paul just cuts to the chase. And he begins this uh, chapter, and the whole book of Galatians is full of, of rebuke of them. But he uses the, the, the clear words of, You foolish Galatians, you don't understand. Now, I looked at the Greek to try to see maybe... This wasn't quite so harsh in the original language. No, it's harsh. It means foolish, lacking sense. So he basically says, you're lacking sense in what you're doing. Yeah, I can understand it, though. For 1,500 years, these people, these uh, former Jews, had known nothing but the law. The law was their, really their guide for not only how they um, lived, but the foods they ate, the clothes they wore, really how they structured every minute of their day. And so you can imagine that it would take some time to get used to this shift from justification by the law versus justification by Jesus Christ. But they're the ones that Paul writes this letter for, not us, right? We're smarter, we're, we're more advanced, but maybe not. Matt Chandler, the pastor of the Village Church in Dallas, describes the culture of the Bible Belt in a way of being functional atheists. Chandler says that with your mouths, you say you're a Christian, you believe in the Bible, and you believe in God. But when it comes to every arena of your life outside church attendance, nothing is governed by or influenced by the God that you say that you love and serve or his revealed will in the Bible. Yeah, it's a little harsh, but I think as we are people in the Bible Belt, we can see sometimes well, that's the case. As Howard has said many times from this pulpit, that if the Christians in Amarillo really lived what the Bible says, our town would look very different. I think it has to do more than just how we act. It goes to the heart of the way that we live. That idea that our justification is riding on us. It's writing on me. How does this look in day-to-day -day life where we, we put this justification on ourselves? A lot of times we equate busyness to godliness. We see people and we say, oh, they're a godly person 
because they do so much at the church or they're involved in so many great things, they're good or I'm good. Or maybe that I'm a better person because I go to church and I don't lie or steal or some of those things that my friends or my neighbors do. My character is better than most, so I'm justified, right? We place our value on our accomplishments. We measure our worth based on what we do. When people ask us how we are, we say we're doing good and we're busy. As if busy adds an extra value to our justification that we're doing a good job and we've got it all together. Mike Akinale, a great um, author and leader who's on in heaven, has said at times that he thinks that busyness is really the work of the devil. It makes us look like we're doing something when in reality we're just posing that we've got it all together. So we have this idea because of our justification in a Christian world of justification that uh, Jesus is necessary. Jesus paid for our salvation on Calvary. And we accept and believe that. But we have this certain unwritten law within our church world that it's my blood, my sweat, my effort that keeps my salvation. Again, it's all riding on me. We're trying to be our own God. And the problem with this idea of following this law is that it is a heavy, heavy burden and one that we can't bear. Paul is quick to recognize this problem that's starting early on in the formation of the church and the people in Galatia. In the first five verses, he's really pointing to the problem of following the law in the face of the grace of Jesus Christ. Evidently, some of the Jewish leaders have been there in undermining the message that he taught, telling people that they need to be more like Abraham and follow the law. And Paul, as he is so many times, is the right man for the job. He's the man who knows the Bible backwards and forwards, knows the the Old Testament, the law. And when they come at him with Abraham, he's like that attorney that they've just, you know, thrown the softball right down the middle. Because his response is basically, Abraham, you want to talk about Abraham? Let's talk about Abraham. Because Abraham was called by God four to five hundred years before the law even existed. So how could he have been justified by the law? We find out in Genesis 15, 6, and it's very simple. And he, Abraham, believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Simply put, he believed in the Lord. We don't know what this looks like. We don't know what the practices or the actions of Abraham were exactly, but God does. God had the vision, had the eyes to see and know that Abraham was the right man. And as um, Danny read a few minutes ago of being called to lead his family, and, um, and we know the obedience that he had and the, the trust that he grew in knowledge of God. It doesn't seem like Abraham was thinking that his justification was riding on him. He believed God. So the other way to be justified is the reality or the... Uh, the the admission or the acceptance that someone else is paying for it. Someone else is paying for our justification. In Scripture, we're told to have childlike faith. And I think it's interesting, if you're ever with a child and they go to eat or they go to a movie or an amusement park, they never have that demand that they want to pay for themselves. They're happy to let others pay. 
And yet we get to this point in our 20s or 30s where that we're going to show we've got it together and we're going to pay for that meal. We lose that childlike faith. No, I'm not encouraging to mooch off of people, but <laughs> you can see the difference of accepting that someone else is paying for it versus that I've got to pay for it. Our justification is riding on Jesus. And that's the message of the gospel. These two ways cause problems for us all the time because we get confused by the law and grace. But the problem is that the law, or the, the good thing about the law, and it's necessary, is the law shows us our sin. We still need it. But the law cannot remove sin. The law helps us avoid mistakes, but it cannot restore us. Martin Luther has a great quote, a great understanding of this balance that he was fighting against. And he says that sin is not canceled by lawful living. For no no person is able to live up to the law. Nothing can take away sin except the grace of God. The law reveals sin. So we need the law. But the law cannot cure our sin. And that's where we need Jesus. Some people say it can't be that easy. Isn't God keeping score of my life? There has to be some accountability. There has to be some scoreboard in heaven with my good things and my bad things or a scale with the good and bad. It doesn't exist. It's not the way that grace, that's not the way that God works. It makes this choice that we have daily so hard because so many of our relationships, so many of the things that we, people that we interact with is based on this exchange of I give enough and you give me back the same amount or equal measure. This frustration is a, summarized in a great quote by uh, Pastor Tully and Trevigin. And he says, the law offends us because it tells us what to do. But grace offends us more because it tells us there's nothing we can do. We want to do more, but grace tells us there's nothing. This is crazy love. This is make, doesn't make sense. Why would God and Jesus continue to pour out love and grace to people who constantly turn away from him? This crazy love is exhibited every day by normal people. Every day, 77,000 people make this type of choice. Every day, an average of 77,000 babies are born in America. And when we welcome a new baby into our home, the baby's helpless. There's nothing that baby can do. For nine months leading up to the birth, it's made the mother sick on a regular basis, altered the, the life of the parents, overhauled the mom's wardrobe, and caused a reordering of the home. And that's just before the baby gets here. And once the baby comes, he or she brings sleepless nights, constant demand for food, dirty diapers, spit up, crying, and a constant need to be held. And do parents look at the baby with a dirty diaper and say, I'm not changing you until you get me a cup of coffee? (laughs) No. Parents continue to pour out their love on their children, not expecting anything in return. And that's the same thing that God does for us. That's what grace looks like. That's what God does for us. So our response, like Abraham, is to believe. 
in our culture and society throughout time, there have been different depictions of this um, image of grace in movies and TV shows and um, novels. And one of the great depictions is the movie and novel, um, the musical Les Miserables. It's a great book, and it takes place in a 1815 in France, and it follows the life of Jean Valjean, who was a criminal who had served 19 years in prison. And after he was released, he was caught stealing silver from a bishop. This bishop had an opportunity to have him go back to jail for stealing the silver, or he had the opportunity to set him free, which he did. But he told Valjean to leave this evil life. And the story is the life of Valjean as he makes some great changes and and really blesses people's lives along the way. But then he's constantly being haunted by his past. One of the antagonists in the the show or the novel is Javert. He's a police inspector and he's always after Valjean throughout the story. And there's one point where Valjean has a chance to kill Javert, but he passes on it. We're going to watch a short clip of this movie, and it's towards the end when Valjean has been rearrested and faces a lifetime prison sentence. Javert is a man who has tried to live his entire life without breaking the law, but he has failed to do so. There was a time that Valjean was in a position to forgive Javert, and he gave him that forgiveness, gave him grace. But this gift has caused him an incredible amount of guilt. Excuse me, has caused him an incredible amount of guilt. In Javert's mind, he was truly guilty and needed to be punished. In this clip, we're going to see where Javert is taking Valjean to prison. Go ahead. Bring him here. That is an important memo for the prefect. We'll explain what I've done with the prisoner. Make sure he sees it before breakfast. Sir. I'm glad I had time to myself. I needed to think about what you deserve. You're a difficult problem. Move to the edge. Why aren't you taking me in? You're my prisoner. Do what I tell you. You don't understand the importance of the law. I've given you an order. Obey it. Why didn't you kill me? I don't have the right to kill you. But you hate me. I don't hate you. I don't feel anything. You don't want to go back to the quarries, do you? Then for once we agree. I'm going to spare you from a life in prison, Jean Valjean. It's a pity the rules don't allow me to be merciful.
You're free. tried his whole life being justified by the law and that point of realizing he couldn't do it and he says you don't understand the importance of the law Jesus came and kept the law he kept the law for us and I think often our response is and the reality is that we don't understand the purpose of the law It says in Romans 3.20, For by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. As I've said, the law reveals our sin, but it doesn't save, heal, or cure. Only Jesus can do that. It sounds simple, but we continue to miss it. We continue to keep our focus more on the law more on who's done right and who's done wrong, where I've done right and where I've done wrong. But Jesus lays it out of what we need to be doing. It's fantastic. He says in John 16, 8, these are the words of Jesus. Excuse me. And he says, and when he comes, the Holy Spirit he's speaking of, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. It's really simple. We are to live in the Spirit. We are to live in the Holy Spirit. This might look different in people's lives and different characteristics, but it definitely includes in his primary importance of time with God, time reading the Bible and understanding the heart of God. But in this scripture, Jesus lays out three distinct characteristics of what the Spirit will do to us. What it is that when the Spirit is in our lives and we're listening and attuned to the Spirit that we will see. The three things that the Spirit does is, first, the Spirit will convict us concerning sin. You know that feeling in your belly or that feeling in your gut when you have lied to someone, stolen something, or any multitude of sins? That's the Spirit. That's the Spirit convicting you. Maybe it's a relationship that needs to be repaired that's still there. And I think that sometimes if we get to where we're able to sin and go on without any thought or consequences or those feelings, I wonder how much time we're spending with God. How attuned are we to the Holy Spirit? The second thing that the Spirit will do is convict us concerning righteousness. Righteousness is the perfecting of us, and that's God's job. But we think it's our job. We think that righteousness is a better version of ourselves that's going to make us a better person, going to make us happier. But this perfection of righteousness that we're looking for now 
is the promise that we have for eternity. So do we allow the Spirit to convict convict us of our sin, to convict us of our lack of righteousness or our striving for it? And the last thing the Spirit does is the Spirit will convict us concerning judgment. Are our ears open to the Spirit speaking to us where we are inserting our view of the law into His kingdom work? Or how other people are or are not following the law? What measure are we using? Yes, I know there are relationships where we need to hold each other accountable, and that's important, but is it judgment for the sake of the kingdom? Is it judgment for the sake of my own justification? The Spirit can do it. The Spirit reminds us. The Spirit reminds us that truly, as we're going to sing at the end, truly nothing but the blood of Jesus can save us. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word and your truth and the promise of your Holy Spirit. As we've heard these words and recognize where it is that we are maybe falling, falling short, that you would um, help us to spend time with you. Help us to see you working in our lives and to realize it is not about me. It's not about my works. It is about your finished work on the cross that justifies me. Lord, we thank you for that reminder and that truth and that we live in it daily. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.